Welcome to Jane Unchained, featuring best-selling author, TV journalist, and JaneUnchained.com founder, Jane Velez Mitchell. In the next few minutes, you'll hear a secret solution to the problems that plague our world. If you want to revolutionize your life, get truly joyful, and jump to the next phase of human evolution, all it takes is one simple choice. Now, here's your host, Jane Velez Mitchell. Hello, and I am so excited. What an incredible show we have for you today. Of course, the world is struggling with COVID. There are uh, numerous uh, crises that seem to erupt every minute of every day. We wake up and find the Postal Service isn't working. Mm -hmm. And uh, yesterday, in fact, I woke up with uh, a thought. Uh, I said, oh my God, because they ship live animals through the mail with the Postal Service not working. These animals are condemned to a torturous death. You United Postal Service workers are not even allowed to open the uh, packages Even if they hear chirping, pathetic chirping of animals dying, a slow, torturous death because it's a federal offense to open a package. So um, uh, social compassion and legislation just immediately uh, got to work and uh, issued a news release calling for the um, calling for the end of live animal shipments in the Postal Service. So, Paige. You take it away. Tell me what you think of that. I think this is horrific. Um, mailing live chicks. What, what have we come to? The, the fact that we, we would actually do something like that for a taste pleasure or a, uh, you know, tradition. You know, traditions are, are we, as we've seen with this pandemic, everything went to a halt. We need to start over, a fresh start. And a fresh start means letting go of things that we thought were okay to do in the past. Time to move on. That's what I've got to say. Time to move on, wake up, and notice what's happening with oppression all around. So, Sherry Johnson, uh, you are a a co-star with uh, Paige on the show Plant-Based in the Burbs, and I am so delighted to have you as part of our team and we're about to interview, introduce another special guest. But tell us, first of all, your reaction to this idea that animals are shipped live in the U.S. mail and that now with the U.S. Postal Service collapsing as it is being destroyed from within uh, because um, of obvious political efforts to skew the election, right. Right. now animals have to pay the price once again of dying slow, torturous deaths left on some tarp or in some postal sorting service, um, dying. And nobody's allowed to even rescue them because it is illegal to tamper with U.S. mail. What are your thoughts? Well, you know, it's inhumane. I mean, to be honest, to even think about mailing live creatures or beings is unheard of. And yet again, for the postal service to be politicized is um, another issue in itself. So... Um, for me, I think uh, you shouldn't be mailing anything living. <laughs> I mean, that's, I agree. It so, just doesn't make sense. <laughs> let's hope that we can end that. Meanwhile, we have an incredible guest today, Dr. Kim Williams, world-famous cardiologist. We're so excited to have you, Dr. Williams. Yes. Um, 
I want to talk to you, sir, about your incredible take on uh, COVID-19 and all this reporting right here, New York Times, Black Americans face alarming rates of coronavirus infection in some states. You have a different take. You say it is risk, not race. Can you explain that to me, Dr. Williams? So thanks, first of all, thanks for having me. Um, Pleasure to be here. I wish it was under different circumstances. And so what I really wanted to make sure we do is bifurcate or put in two different categories, the issue of getting COVID versus dying of COVID. And you can lump that in the second one with being in an intensive care unit or being on a ventilator or even being hospitalized. Mm -hmm. Those are very different than obtaining uh, the exposure that gives you the infection. So as it turns out, uh, people of color uh, tend to have uh, more of the facing the public type of jobs, whether it's you know a bank teller or a, or driving a bus, and it and it, that has given that portion of the structural racism uh, really does exist. Um, the health, the economic disparities, and the education disparities that have riddled the United States and the United States has paid for that more times than not. Uh, And we can see that with all of George Floyd and everything else that's going on. However, that just gives us more opportunity to catch the virus by being public facing. And I'm hoping that everybody hears that and in every situation is respectful of the bus driver and wears the mask and doesn't hassle them about it. Uh, On the other hand, what happens when you get the virus? It turns out that there are some differences that we need to know. Everyone's talked about how men have a worse outcome within women. Why? Because there is an organ in men, that's the testes, that women don't have, where the virus likes to replicate. Well, it turns out that the virus also, because it has a a lipid bilayer, and everybody can sort of put that in their search engine if they want to know more about it, but that lipid bilayer means that it just loves to be around fat and fat of any kind. And so the blood of people who have high cholesterol, that turns out a, to make a big difference in terms of how much the virus can replicate itself. It's got all the environment that it likes. But that's in the bloodstream. How about in the fat cells? The fat cells is basically full of lipid. And so that uh, it is the perfect environment. If you wanted to culture up some coronavirus, just get yourself some fat cells and it can reproduce itself so much more quickly. Now, what does that really mean? That means if a person is overweight or obese, they're actually going to make more viral copies. Their viral load is going to be higher. Their viral shedding is going to be higher, so they spread it to more people. And if everyone gets a little dose of COVID, they actually do pretty well. If they get a large dose of COVID, they don't do quite as well. And if they are able to reproduce the virus more vigorously, of course, they're going to actually have a worsened illness. So then you mix in the hypertension, which has been noted to be a risk factor, not just obesity and high cholesterol, but high blood pressure, probably because this is one virus that tends to attack blood vessels. And people with high blood pressure have some blood pressure, uh, have blood vessel damage already. And then the last but not least is diabetes. And there's a big co-occurrence. I mean, we have been five years of increasing cardiovascular death after almost 40 years of decrease. Uh, And it went started edge back up in our CDC. 
says that it's diabetes and obesity together that's increasing heart disease rates. So all of a sudden, we have a pandemic with a virus that loves obese people and diabetics. What's wrong with a diabetic? Well, probably the immune system. You see the diabetics end up ending up with the um, blood vessel issues and inability to fight an infection. And sure enough, they end up with a foot amputation where other people, when they get that injury to the foot, it heals up pretty well. So you put all that together and it really is the risk factors. So sure, we have the structural racism that in, has resulted in us being more forward facing, more public facing, more exposure, tighter living quarters, that sort of thing. But in terms of once you have the illness, how are you going to do? It really depends on your risk, not your race. Uh, I think that's an incredible explanation. And to me, what it says, and I'd love to get our panelists weighing in on this and, and asking questions and commenting, is that we're living in a fast food nation and uh, communities of color are uh, participating mightily in the fast food culture, eating burger shakes, fries, burger shakes, fries. Um, not to say that others aren't. Two thirds of Americans are overweight or obese, but uh, particularly if you add the element of being exposed to more <laughs> COVID because you're working out there, whether it's uh, delivering food or um, being a slaughterhouse worker, um, in fact, just in the last week, there's a lawsuit that's filed against the USDA saying that no federal funds should be going to any meatpacking companies because they're in violation, according to the lawsuit of Title VI, the Discrimination Act, uh, because they're allowing their primarily white managers to stay home and do social distancing where the slaughterhouse workers themselves overwhelmingly people of color have to go into the slaughterhouse line and they're getting COVID-19. Statistically, the lawsuit argues that is discrimination. Therefore, they're in violation of Title VI. Therefore, they shouldn't get any federal funds. That was just filed. But then you add the component of uh, people of color eating fast food. And I don't know if they're eating fast food at a greater rate than others. I do know that African-Americans are the largest, fastest growing segment of the vegan population. So um, maybe weigh in on those factors and then we'll get to our panelists, doctor. So I would love to see the data on, uh, on uh, African-Americans uh, yeah. turning more vegan, particularly if it's healthy vegan, as, as you may know. But not all your listeners might not know because so many of our vegans are concerned about uh, social issues like hunger. They're concerned about the environment. They're concerned about animal rights. Uh, appropriately, but they're willing to eat a plant that's put in such a way that it's not going to help them, like uh, sugar-sweetened beverages or French fries and that sort of thing, which actually is worse than eating animals in terms of cardiovascular disease, believe it or not. So there is a, for, for anyone who's interested, there's an article in the Journal American College of Cardiology Journal about unhealthy plant-based diets and how actually bad they are for you. So I'm hoping that well, everyone- Let, that let if me just we, say this, yes. okay? People like to stick us in a no-win corner, and I refuse to accept that. Uh, when I've been vegan 23 years, mm-hmm. when we first started out, you know, we're taunted, what do you eat, grass? Mm-hmm. And uh, there's no way I'm giving up my burger. Now we've created burgers that are uh, so uh, meat-like, you can't even tell the difference. And then people say, they're not any healthier than meat. Well, A, they don't have cholesterol. B, there was a study that was just published that shows that switching to a plant-based meat, a uh, plant-based burger from 
a meat burger actually does reduce your cholesterol levels and is healthier. So I agree with you, doctor, that um, you can you can eat Oreos all day and say you're a vegan. It's hey, hey, not- you're talking about me. <laughs> but, but, but. Um, I, I also do a little pushback when people love to, you know, cable newscasters who could care less about the fact that processed meat is officially cancer causing, according to the World Health Organization, never brought it up, never brought up that one out of every four people die of heart disease. The second they can use the word process to attack a burger made from peas and beets, they're going to jump all over that. So mm-hmm. I think we have to be careful before demonizing plant-based options because very few people are going to jump from eating a burger and a giant milkshake, which is probably 4,000 calories, to eating a raw cabbage salad tomorrow. <laughs> they need those, they need those uh, ways to process, to, to get off of, just like a, a heroin addict goes on methadone, mm-hmm. they need a way to get off of whatever they're eating to transition to something. And so I feel that there's a value in those foods. But should we eat them for breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Of course not. Nobody's suggesting that. Well, um, doctor, I just want to bring in our two very, very talkative panelists. Okay, but you got to let me respond to that because I I want to be very clear that that Jack article was very, very clear. Sugar-sweetened beverages, fried food, those kinds of things. Sure, it doesn't have a face and it doesn't have a mother, but that is not the kind of thing that people really should be eating. And working toward a whole food plant-based diet, I think the word you're looking for that we all use, yeah, the transition diet. I just encourage everyone to look at the components. We have nice guidelines. They talk about sodium, saturated fat, okay? And if you're able to lower that as as well as lowering the cholesterol, then that is not going to be all that damaging, even though it is processed. Uh, I I eat those things all the time, but I'm very careful about the sodium and even more careful about the saturated fat. Okay, well, we're, we're awake now. We're having a lively debate, which is what I love. Um, Cherie, why don't yeah. you read it? Well, I, I, first, I'm excited to be here on the show with Jane and the doctor. It's, it's, we fo- I follow you all the time, so you have a wealth of information uh, to give people, and I'm, I'm happy to be here. Uh, I want to weigh in on uh, the emphasis of African Americans being uh, the – highest COVID catchers are dying from COVID because of underlying issues. But like the doctor said, most people of color are essential workers. They're the ones that are out there driving the buses and interacting with uh, the public all the time. And mind you, some of the public is not following those guidelines, so then that makes it more susceptible for the people who are essential workers to catch COVID. Secondly, as far as uh, high blood pressure and cholesterol, as the doctor was talking about, and the sodium intake, that is the number one uh, culprit that really gets most of us because the hidden salt and food, whether we're transitioning into a whole plant, plant-based diet or using some of the processed foods, they're very high in sodium. So I know that is the number one culprit for heart disease let alone having high blood pressure and diabetes. So for me, I really encourage most people that I interact with to try to transition into a whole plant-based diet, whole food plant-based diet to help eliminate the sodium and all those other cholesterol and all those other issues. So that's kind of what I wanted to say. Well, uh, let me ask you about cholesterol, okay? So I'm not a doctor. Uh, um, nor am I a lawyer, by the way. Uh, but um, 
you know, to boil down cholesterol, because prior to COVID, doctor, one out of every four people mm-hmm. died of heart disease. And I even saw uh, an ad from a major medical institution that said it was one out of every three people. And sure. so a lot of people are dying of heart disease. Heart disease comes from plaque clogging up the arteries. Yep. My understanding is that plaque comes from cholesterol. And my understanding is that cholesterol comes from animal products almost mm-hmm. always. Okay, so... Well, I mean, cholesterol is in animal. We're animals. We produce our own cholesterol. Animals produce cholesterol. Right. So, um, so, so let me, let me refine yeah. if I can just jump yeah. in there. Yeah. Sure. So if you look at the work from Harvard's um, Paul Ritker, for example, he talks about the co-occurrence of cholesterol and inflammation mm. and that they are both equal in terms of how much plaque they can produce. And guess what a whole food plant-based diet does? It lowers both of them dramatically. And so uh, you're absolutely right that people ingesting cholesterol will actually have a, a rise in their cholesterol, which is completely opposite of what you'll hear from the saturated fat in the meat industry and Cattlemen's Association and the Egg Board. And they'll tell you that all of their products will actually increase your fluffy LDL. Well, the, the less dense LDL is less likely to make plaque, but it still makes plaque. Then they'll say that it raises the good cholesterol, the HDL. And I encourage anyone who's looking at that to, in, to put in your search engine HDL mortality. And you'll see articles, one from Canada, one from Copenhagen, both indicating that the high HDL, you know, we, there should be like a drum roll when we admit that we were wrong for 60 years. Uh, this is one of them. High HDL actually increases the death rate. That's something that nobody knew until very recently. And so having a diet like saturated fat and animal-based cholesterol that increases LDL and HDL is just hurting people, regardless of how fluffy it is. And so, yes, it is, while it's true that uh, ingested cholesterol is important, ingesting saturated fat is also an issue because it makes you make your own cholesterol. And that's why we try to reduce both of them. Thank you. And we're so excited to have the extraordinary Dr. Kim Williams world-famous cardiologist on here today, and we're having a lively conversation. I love it. Uh, We're going to take a short break on Voice America Radio, but we're going to stay live on Facebook. Be sure to friend us on Facebook. You can do it right now. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for us at keyword Voice America. Are you ready for provocative discussions with some of today's most powerful movers and shakers? Tune in to The Art of Significance, featuring Dan Clark, the modern-day Napoleon Hill, who interviews the wealthiest, most successful celebrities and business leaders on the planet who are using their influence to change the world. From authors to entertainers, sports figures, educators to military leaders, Dan covers multiple topics. Tune in every Monday at noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern, on the Voice America Influencers Channel. Tune in to the Tony D'Urso Show with key influencers for entertaining and thought-provoking weekly discussions with some of the top stars in their fields. From business, sports, and science to entertainment, music, and literature, Tony's guests share their success and give their wisdom. If you're looking to manifest your vision and see how others have done so, be sure to listen to the Tony D'Urso Show every Friday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Influence. 
The Voice America Talk Radio Network is on Instagram. Make sure you follow us and comment on our pictures from behind the scenes at our radio shows, live events, and around the network. We want to see what you have to share as well. Check us out on Instagram at Voice America Talk Radio. We don't follow, we lead. Join us, the Voice America Influencers Channel. You are listening to Jane Unchained. To reach the show today, call in to 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. You may also send an email in to News at gmail.com. Now back to the show. All right, we're here with a fabulous feisty panel. We're so honored to have Dr. Kim Williams. And honestly, I was uh, writing your bio to include in the description. I was like, this is so long. (laughs) I mean, you've done so much. And you were the president of, uh, I believe it was the American College of Cardiology, and you're still a trustee and a fellow. Um, And what was really funny was that when I was looking at your Wikipedia page, it said, and he is vegan. And there was much discussion about his motives. <laughs> much discussion about his motives. Would well, you get a commission every time somebody goes vegan, doctor? Of course not. None of us. There's always this discussion about our motives. Our motives are to save the planet, stop world hunger, get people healthy, stop animal suffering. Paige, um, you've been listening to this whole conversation. Uh, you're plant-based in the burbs. What do you say? First of all, I'm honored, honored to be a part of this. I won't speak much because I'm really riveted by everything Dr. Kim Williams has to say. I I was at a, a, a boycott meet um, demonstration last night, social distance masks, and uh, a, a person walked by and said, why, why boycott meat? And I said, and, and, and we were in the, uh, the district, the Fairfax district, and I said, if you're religious, killing animals is not kind. And I thought, I just kind of left that. And I think people have lost the concept of kindness and they, they focus so much on tradition. Several things. Dr. Kim, I actually want to ask you, Dr. Williams, about dairy, because a lot of people say, well, I'm vegetarian. Isn't that enough? And I know that, um, you know, I've just been hearing a lot uh, from various doctors and so forth, and I just wanted you to weigh in on dairy, because I think that's a a big question at hand, and uh, please, take it away. So, the easiest way to answer that, uh, I know I'm asking people to do a lot of uh, uh, search engines, (laughs) uh, but this is another one you might want to do. Animal protein, vegetable protein, mortality. And you're going to see three articles come up in my favorite. I, I, I kind of secretly call it, call it my uh, vegan propaganda journal. It's not. It's the oh. Journal of American Medical Association. And what you'll see is three articles that actually have the same title about the replacement of, of uh, animal protein with vegetable protein every 3%. And it tells you what happens to these large databases, and people will criticize the Harvard group because it's doctors and nurses, uh, and then they'll criticize the Japanese for reasons that I don't understand. Uh, but the last one was the so-called ERIC, uh, atheros- Atherosclerosis Risk in Communities. It's a highly respected uh, journal, and the funny part about it is that all three of them say the same thing, that dairy increases cardiovascular mortality. That is, if you wanna increase your death a little bit, you do fish and chicken, 
you will decrease, increase your death a little bit. Dairy is a hair worse. Red meat is worse than dairy. Eggs are worse than red meat. And processed red meat is the absolute worst. And so, you know, you can argue with them that they're observational and they're not prospective and that there are other series out there that say that dairy is good for you. I would say that everyone that looks at dairy being good for you, it's a substitutionary benefit, such as the Pure Trial, 19 countries have a massive database and dairy comes out looking really good. Why? Because those poor countries that are, that are in there, when they don't have dairy, they're eating other things that, that particularly refined grains. So white flour, white sugar, white rice, and those refined grains are actually worse than animal products. And so, you know, the, the, you, can, you can argue about substitutionary benefit. I always say that if somebody's going to force you to take either arsenic or cyanide, take the arsenic. You'll wow. live longer. And wow. so and there are situations where dairy would be good for you because the diet is so bad. But when you have the option, absolutely, you should be doing everything with plant protein, not animal protein. We've got a caller, Sarah, your question or thought. Hi. Oh, this is so exciting. Dr. Kim Williams, I have a question for you and also have a question for Sherry. Dr. Kim Williams, I have a question for you about dairy. If you could help uh, answer, have you reached out to Black Lives Matters? people and talk to them about maybe doing a collaboration because I feel like every time I go to a Black Lives Matters march, I want to talk to them about dairy, but I know that's just not appropriate because we're talking about people's lives, but then I'm thinking in myself, we are talking about their lives because they're being nutritionally, it's racism, nutritional racism, and it's not food deserts. They do have food deserts in a lot of places of people of color and stuff, but the problem is, is that they're really nu- not nutritional food. That's the problem, trying to get that. And then for Sherry, I know this is a totally off different question, but I just want to talk to you a little bit more about people mailing animals because I just don't think that people know how many animals are shipped in the U.S. Postal Service every mm-hmm. day. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Sarah. So we'll take it one at a time. Dr. Williams, yes, um, Black Lives Matter um, the movement, and now uh, one of our dear friends, Gwena Hunter, has started Vegans for Black Lives Matter, which is incredible, and it grew exponentially very quickly. She started the group, and it was 2,000 people before she blinked. Mm-hmm. Do, do you feel that there's a message that you could get across or that someone should get across to the movement that the way to take the power back is with food, particularly when you look at the where the the people who own the fast food giants are donating their money to. Uh, there's a big argument to be made that they're really supporting um, the the forces of oppression with the money they're getting from people of color buying the fast food. I really appreciate the thought. I have not talked to the Black Lives Matter folks about this. Uh, I've written articles and editorials and and you know, talked to my Congress people about trying to make sure that people understand the dietary component is exactly the same, dying of cardiovascular disease, which I've been dealing with for 40 years, <clears throat> and COVID-19, which I've been dealing with for, for the last uh, five months. And so if you could make a connection between me and them, it would be great. Um, and because the message is very clear, and it wouldn't just be about dairy. Uh, you know, I mean, dairy is bad for you. People don't actually realize 
that the amount of growth hormone, so the obesity issue when you're eating uh, dairy is because the growth hormone is made for a cow. The, the dairy milk is supposed to make a baby calf grow into a full-grown cow in a very short period of time, and it has a similar unfortunate effect on humans. We do not want that in our systems. Well, uh, <clears throat> I want to give you a second to answer, Cherie, about that question, but just yeah. staying on this topic for a minute, uh, you know that uh, Cory Booker, who ran for president, who's a senator from New Jersey, is vegan, and he got um, Elizabeth Warren, who also ran for president. Was, uh, they're both proposing wiping out concentrated animal feeding operations, the factory farming CAFOs, but by 2040. But now, just today, as I was getting ready to do this interview, here's a, a headline. Trump's beef gambit is easy pickings for Biden and Harris. So uh, Vice President Mike Pence warned farmers and ranchers of the coming war on red meat. Quote, Senator Kamala Harris says she would change the dietary guidelines in this country to reduce the amount of red meat Americans can eat, said Pence to a spirited crowd. We're not going to let Joe Biden and Kamala Harris cut America's meat. So um, that's very, very interesting. Now, the article points out that Kamala Harris said, I love cheeseburgers in a 2019 town hall, but that she also urged the audience to ease up on its meat intake advocating for creative incentives to encourage moderation in consumers' meat consumption and uh, educating them about the effects of eating habits on our environment. Um, I just thought that this was really fascinating because I had no idea that Kamala Harris had any knowledge about the terrible impact on meat. The truth is that for years it seemed like both parties were quite in denial about the terrible health aspects of meat, the environmental aspects, the nutritional racism, the environmental racism, the water pollution, the human world hunger, that they were both oblivious. Now we're seeing that Kamala Harris is, along with Cory Booker and Elizabeth Warren, starting to discuss this issue. Even if, you're, even if she's just putting her toe in the shallow pool, She's actually talking about the problems with our um, massive consumption of red meat in the United States. Um, Sherry, I, I know. Williams, yeah, answer that and then we'll get to our panel. I know you want to get to Sherry. So I'm going to make two exceptions if I can. Yes. Uh, one was a, a documentary by Al Gore uh, that hopefully many people saw. Um, I think it was called An Uncomfortable Truth, and he really did talk about the issues that you've just described. So they haven't been completely silent. The other one was, uh, was Michelle Obama, whose mm -hmm. office I worked with. Uh, she had a food czar, Deb Eschmeyer, who understood the, the vegetarian message. I know cardiologists, when they start talking about increasing red meat, are supposed to say cha-ching, but that really is not our nature. We would like to prevent disease rather than treat it. And so um, the dietary guidelines that they're talking about, they have already said multiple times to decrease red meat. And then there's a large put pushback from Cattlemen's Association. So if there is some legislative fix or some public service message that goes out and talks about the different kinds of animal protein and the different risk, and then the superiority of vegetable protein, I really hope that that happens. Um, and so, you know, and I, I can jokingly uh, about, joke about the cha-ching because we still live in an epidemic of heart disease, okay? 
And in the city doctor, like Chicago. I, I just have to jump in and say this, and we'll have plenty of time to talk to you ladies because I know the doctor only has like five more minutes. You know, you go to the doctor. Uh, I don't go that often, thank God, knock on wood, here we go. But when I go, um, sometimes I get from mainstream doctors hostility toward me being right. vegan. Correct. And um, you're in the ground zero of the cardiology world. Are attitudes changing or are you still subjected to the raised eyebrow and the cynical comment? So we are gradually increasing. I'd like to see it precipitously increase. And the reason I'm saying that is that people don't realize that the leading cause of death of heart doctors is heart disease. Mm-hmm. Okay. Everyone needs to, and so I get a lot of referrals. People call in, people make video visits all over, all the time. And the first thing I ask them to do, and probably the last thing I ask them to do before the end of the visit, is go back and talk with whatever tools I give them. Give them to their doctor. If you can save the doctor's life, you're going to save the doctor personally, their family, and all of the patients that they're going to see. Okay, but I have to say this, and then I'm going to get my whole panel, I promise. Mm-hmm. These are smart people, cardiologists. Okay, you've got to go to medical school. You've got to be able to do surgery. You you've got to be smart. How can you miss the fact that the leading cause of death in America, COVID aside, is heart disease, and yeah. it's America's meat consumption and dairy consumption that is primarily causing it. How can they miss? Do you, how much denial do you have to be in? And I know you have to be politically correct, Dr. Williams. You're there. You're working with everybody. But I... I no, no, it actually is fairly simple. And so that, that old saying, never attribute to malice, which is easily attributed to ignorance, yeah. it really does apply. And the reason I'm saying that, and I hope everyone who hears it, and if they're a cardiologist, yes affronted by it. Um, That statement that I made years ago that I kind of backed away from, I'm not backing away anymore because I've had six of my friends in the last few years die of heart disease. So that two kinds of cardiologists, vegans and those who have not read the data, um, that that saying went all over the place and ended up on, you know, on cups and stuff. Well, the fact of the matter is we actually have done a survey of our members in cardiology. It was published. It was not very flattering. 1% 1% of our practicing cardiologists and 0% of our trainees felt like they had had enough nutrition education to mm-hmm. counsel patients properly. And the patients are looking to us. And so, but we have this really good cadre. Look at our American Medical Association, the policies about hospital food that we've been able to get through. And I can tell you, when we were giving that testimony, it was myself and Neil Barnard, and we were like strategizing, how do we fight this and how do we fight that? How, you know, how are we going to combat all of the opposition? There was no opposition. They were lined up out the door, people coming up and saying, I put three stents in that left anterior descending, and I came around the next morning, and they were feeding the patient bacon and eggs. How can that be? And so there is a, a growing support. Our, our American Medical Association is actually ahead of a lot of other organizations, uh, but the American College of Cardiology has vegetarian options at every, they've committed to it. And hopefully uh, our, uh, our American College of Cardiology um, Nutrition Task Force um, or working group inside the prevention committee is so powerful and they do so many studies and so many educational things that hopefully it, it will be very hard, as you're saying, uh, for us to be, to be in denial in the future. But it's a process. All right. Well, I know you only have two more minutes, so I'll let these ladies ask whatever they want to ask. 
Okay, I want to ask a question to the doctor, and you kind of brought that topic up. My husband's a physician assistant. He works in urology, and he's also a vegan, and he talks to his patients every day about increasing plant-based. But also what I wanted to mention was the diet that they give patients in the, in the hospital. You know, you're there, you just had a heart attack, and as you mentioned, you're getting dairy for your diet or anything, or even just a vegan personally being in the hospital, some hospitals don't have the right meal plan for that person. As far as like my husband was there for a procedure, they didn't have anything to feed him, so they brought him crackers. Do you see? So I, I don't know how we can change the meal plan or the diet plan for patients and patients, because even though they're there for a disease that caused this issue, we're still feeding them the same food that brought them there in the first place. So, I mean, that's something to me, I think that, as you mentioned, really needs to take a hard look at changing the diet for patients in the hospital. Can I just respond? I, this is so important. I'm hoping that everyone uh, will re recognize that the hospitals have some limitations. They have to have their, their satisfaction scores, so-called okay. press gainies. And it turns out that um, the, you know, when the American Medical Association says hospital food should be X and Y, uh, well, the American Hosp Hospital Association can say, you know, AMA, you're not the boss of me. Right. And we, we may not be able to have the traction everywhere. But there are a handful of hospitals around the country that are really starting to look at this. And they're looking at it for patient benefit, for patient education. And those are, are high quality places that, that have their heart in the right place. So I'm wow. thinking that there is going to be a movement and we are going to be able to change it. Well, one thing I want to point out is that social compassion legislation, which I work with very closely, passed a law in California. Hospitals and institutions must provide a vegan option that is the law, and it must be a substantial vegan option. So anyone who is not getting a vegan option, you reach out, you contact me, because those institutions, those hospitals, nursing homes, and uh, institutions are in violation of the law mm. and be subjected to, among other things, you know, legal action, legal action, and it can't be crackers. So if that happened in California, Cherie, we should talk, seriously. Okay. Yeah. Um, if they're in violation of the law. So, um, doctor, I know you had to leave at 1040. I want to respect your time. You okay. are my hero. I, I think you're amazing. Um, Paige is, is champing there. At, that might be speciesist. I'm, uh, we have to be also worried. About, <laughs> yes. You're trying to uh, ask a question. Go for it. Last question. What I want to say is, can you stay a little longer, Dr. Williams? Sure, if I you can, can stay a little longer. Okay. Oh. We'll give, we'll give him. We'll give him five more minutes. There you and, go. Um, I am very grateful, but I know you have. Like I don't want. Like I have a vision of like a surgery center waiting. <laughs> <laughs> no, you probably don't have to do much surgery because your oh your patients are so healthy. Um, so Paige, ask away. What's your question? I'm I'm just riveted. I know that uh, I don't know anything actually. I'm I'm, I'm asking questions. Um, <laughs> we have a show called Plant Based in the Burbs, and uh, Sherry and I, Sherry and I, and we're creating uh, just the transition foods. So we're really wanting to focus on the whole foods, plant based um, aspect. But we do find that 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 transition food, you know, that's those that taste pleasure. So what would you suggest um, going forward for those those that are in transition? Uh, how do you suggest, you know, making that transition to, to a more vegan lifestyle? 
more uh, plant-based whole foods. So yeah, I covered it a little bit earlier, but I'm happy to talk about it more. Um, you, our guidelines, particularly if you're hypertensive, are that your sodium intake should be less than 1,500 milligrams per day. Right. If you're not hypertensive, you can argue, but maybe it's 2,300 milligrams, right? And so when the, so the first thing I do when I'm going to look at a transition food, which I I eat them all the time. I don't have a, if I have, and the reason I do that, I'll be honest, is that I. You know, I, I work all the time and I play tennis all the time. And so uh, with those two things, if I'm not careful, I will lose weight like unbelievable on a plant-based diet. And so I, I'm always searching for calorie-dense things. Mm. And a good, you know, solid veggie burger will be very calorie-dense. And so, but I'm going to look for the saturated fat and avoid it. Now, that usually means, you know, more canola or more olive oil and less in the way of, of coconut oil. Okay, but I'm also looking at the sodium content, and you know, I there we sh since we're talking about it, and you know, our host mentioned the you know the plant-based burgers that have become so familiar. I would ask people to just do one more little search, and that is heme iron, and our NIH um, uh, AARP study said that heme iron is one of the things that hurts human health and increases cardiac death. And heme iron is in one of those plant-based uh, items. And it's something that you normally would get from animal products. And hopefully people will recognize that, you know, either they should shift away from it. I know it, it makes it more popular I'm because it tastes iron better. in meat. Yeah, but it's in one of the plant-based burgers. Well, okay. But, I yes. mean, you're, people who are eating meat are getting that heme iron. Let's Absolutely. That's, that's where the data came from. In fact, you know, Americans, Americans eat more meat than just about anybody else in the world. Absolutely. I think the average American kills like 10,000 animals over their lifetime eating animals. Yeah. And, you know, we hear all these arguments about protein, this, that, and the other. We're yeah. not really a healthy nation. I mean – we, we haven't responded well to COVID. We're doing really badly on COVID. And overall, we're a very, very unhealthy nation in general. Right. Um, do, do, the, do the doctors out there, if, whereas doctors are supposed to keep people healthy, right? First, do no harm. Whereas we got a lot of doctors and we got a lot of sick people. Do any of them hold themselves accountable for doing such a bad job? So first of all, I, I don't want to throw the doctors under the bus. That is, they are presented, uh, other than the nutrition education thing, and, and none of the doctors who are actually in, in training are setting the curriculum. It's set by the generation before or two generations or more. And so uh, every, every doctor I know would give their last personal dime to save somebody's life. And what I'm just saying is that doing prevention, ounce of pre prevention, pound of cure, that is, everything that we're trained to do in cardiology, and we're doing a whole lot of stuff, it's incredible. You wouldn't believe what we're doing at Rush. The PET scanning with rubidium and the his bundle pacing and all these technical things that are just so amazing, but it's all mopping up the floor instead of turning off the faucet, as many people have said. And so when are we going to actually deal with, uh, with uh, prevention? So yeah, no, and you mentioned it before that um, you know people may have a financial sort of motivation and plant-based nutrition doesn't have a uh, plant-based, uh, there's no motivation or uh, to, tr to try to get rich off of it. 
But we actually do well, I was going to say, because we are in an epidemic of heart disease so that when we cure people, we can see more new patients. And so financially, we do very well with prevention because we're going to be saturated with another patient or another one after that. Uh, and so we need, to, we need to fix the fact that Americans spend more on healthcare than any other country and we have some of the worst outcomes. And it's not the fault of the physicians. Uh, we're not driving the cost. Uh, but we need to do more prevention so that we can do what, what you're saying. You know, you know, we're not harming the patients, they're harming themselves and, and the marketing. If we could fix all of that together and con Congress having them help us would be tremendous. You mentioned the meat stuff. What about the subsidies for, you know, high fructose corn syrup? Why would Congress have billions of dollars for, for subsidies that, for people to eat things that are unhealthy so they could then underfund Medicare to help people with the illnesses uh, because we're not letting them die. We're keeping them alive. We're hurting, the doctors are hurting Medicare by having such success. Well, the, the Dr. Silas Rao, who is uh, a genius and uh, um, uh, also a systems analyst, I think said it best. They're factory farming all of us. Okay, yeah. they need us to get fat, sick and nearly death so <laughs> that we, they can sell us the pills. Okay, because if we're not sick, how are they going to sell us all those pills? How are they going to sell guys erectile dysfunction pills mm. if they don't have erectile dysfunction? You know? Um, right. so but I, I'm not sure that they're all that connected. That is, the pharmaceutical industry is there to take advantage of whatever the market holds. And we have the illnesses because we aren't preventing them. And then we need them to bail us out. If we didn't need them to bail us out, they wouldn't do it. If people didn't buy dead cows they wouldn't sell them. So let's take some personal responsibility. That's true. Well, yes, and I've taken personal responsibility for 23 years. That's how long I've been vegan, <laughs> at least. Yeah. I think it might be 24. Um, Dr. Williams, I want to thank you. Thank you. You are so fantastic. You're a wealth of knowledge, and you explain things in a great way that people can understand, and I hope you'll come back sometime soon. More than happy to. I really enjoyed cool. it. Great, oh. um, great meeting you and look forward to uh, future broadcasts. And keep it up. Keep, keep uh, opening the hearts and minds of cardiologists. Every <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks uh, a lot. Thank you so much. Um, so, okay. Um, Cherie, I think uh, Paige had the last one, so we'll go back to Cherie. Uh, Cherie, what are your thoughts on this very, very inspiring conversation? I, I loved every minute of it. I, you know, it, like I mentioned before, my husband's a, a physician assistant and, you know, he gets those stares every time he talks about vegan or he tries to encourage his patients to adopt a more plant-based diet. And, and, and the doctor was just right on time about, you know, that there are some medical professionals who are trying to help patients take control of their health, but if they still have the old mindset uh, and so they're not adapting the change. And like you said, with the marketing, the way they market animal products to people and the way they market dairy to people, make them think that what they're eating is healthy. So this was very uh, eye-opening, uh, educational. And I wrote, I took several notes from the doctor. So I am going to do some research for myself so that when Paige and I get ready to do our next show, we can bring up some of these topics. So it was great. Thank you, Jane. I, I appreciate oh, it. Please. It was, it was oh, my pleasure. Thank you for joining us, Paige. Well, I, I found it so fascinating. And one of the things that I wanted to ask him, because I know there's a new film coming out by John Lewis, Badass Vegan, called They're Trying to Kill Us. Yes. And what I heard sort of 
all together. I can't wait for this film to come out. I've seen the trailer. Um, what I heard in what Dr. Williams was saying is that there's so many different misinformation being put out. You know, the, the risk, not race. I thought that was incredibly yes. powerful in a sense that, you know, now the media is jumping all over saying, you know, African-Americans are the largest growing number of COVID cases. I don't know what's up with my phone. You know, who has a home phone anymore, right? But it just keeps ringing. Um, it, yeah, so um, my point is I thought it was incredibly fascinating, educational, and I'm grateful to have had the opportunity. Back to you, Jane. I think it's the, um, uh, <laughs> uh, uh, I was going to say some agency of government asking you to testify. Okay. Yeah. Um, it, it's really interesting though, because he obviously gets it and he's in with the cardiology association. He was the president. Okay. Of the college of cardiology and he's still a trustee and a fellow. And yet these other folks I'm just like, at a certain point, there's no excuse for not getting it. And I was very heartened at first when I started reading this article this morning, I went, oh, here we go again. And the, the, you know, the Trump administration saying they're trying to take away our meat. But then as I read and I said, wow, you know, at least the Democratic Party is talking about reducing meat consumption. And then it went into an entire thing. Uh, saying the U.S. meat industry today is where the coal industry was a decade ago, in the middle of uh, the early stages of consumer-driven disruption. In recent years, U.S. startups have become global leaders in alternative meat production. So this is an article that really is talking about the fact that, A, it's becoming a political issue, and B, um, the disruption is in progress. And just like people are still arguing for coal, Okay, there were people still arguing for me, but that the change is underway. It's a process, not an event. So ultimately, Sheree, I thought this was a very positive article. And considering that Kamala Harris is going to be is, you know, the nominee for vice president and could very likely become the next vice president and could become the next president uh, down the road. The fact that it, at least she's aware mm -hmm. uh, and talking about reduction uh, progress, not perfection. Because honestly, I was disgusted with both parties. The the Democrats uh, were having uh, steak fries while they were talking about environmental uh, uh, <laughs> environment. And I was like, uh, this is completely absurd. Yeah. So I see progress now. And honestly, I think COVID-19 has something to do with it because it is exposing the dark underbelly of this horrific industry. It is. It truly is. It truly is. And you know what? I, I, I'm excited about um, uh, Cory Book, Booker being an influence because um, he is living the vegan life and he can, people can see him lead by example and then also give his input to all the others to, to look at the farming and to make change. And so to me, that's, that's pretty exciting. So... Yeah, I think that there's a wake up happening and it's not a light bulb moment. It's kind of like a dimmer going yes. a little higher and a little yes. higher uh, because really I was so frustrated during the early stages of this to see the campaigners um, really uh, oblivious. But now we're seeing that this is part of the conversation. And, 
You know, Dr. Kim Williams mentioned Michelle Obama. And what's really interesting is that Michelle Obama tried to get kids to eat their veggies. Yes. And you know what happened? No. Shut down. It was shut down. It yeah. was turned to let's move. The powers that be were extremely threatened by her urging kids. Remember she had the vegetable garden, the white yeah. house? Yeah. Oh, there was a tremendous pushback, Paige. There was a tremendous pushback and a shift back to the dollars, you know? Mm -hmm. So I think that's the key. If somehow we can turn the dollars, the vegetable dollars into a high paying gig, you know, like they're they become corporate to, in a way, you know, not to corporatize because that, that has such a negative terminology to it, but making vegetables the, the moneymaker, you yeah. know, if we can well, make that happen. Yeah. Well, uh, interestingly enough, um, even though some people knock these veggie burgers, remember, they're not meant to be eaten for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Nothing yeah. is. Right. So maybe oatmeal, you know, or brown rice. I mean, uh, everything in moderation, you know. Uh, but um, it wasn't until the very successful IPO of Beyond Meat that the whole plant-based meat industry was even taken seriously. Those Beyond Meat burgers have existed for a long time. Right. They weren't given any respect. Mm -hmm. uh, they were dismissed. And then as soon as the IPO was the most successful initial public offering since 2008 and the stock skyrocketed and it's mm -hmm. still very high today, um, all of a sudden people started paying attention to, to meat alternatives. And so money talks in our society. Sure. Money really does talk. So those... Those products are very powerful change makers. And I don't, I personally do not want to knock them. Do they need to be eaten for breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Of course not. Nothing should. Right. Uh, but, but the point is that when people say, what do you eat, grass? Now we can point to something that tastes exactly like meat yeah. and that they can't even tell the difference and say, no, here, eat this. Yes. And uh, there is a very good argument to be made that they are much healthier than the meat alternative. There was a new study that just came out mm -hmm. on that. So um, we only have one minute. Um, uh, I'll give each of you 20 seconds. Go ahead, Cherie. Well, um, again, I hope that we can encourage, I hope that this show encouraged people to take a look at what they're putting on their plate and understand that it is more than just uh, animals. There's a political force behind that, a corporate force, a dollar force behind that. And the marketing is there to skew your idea of what is healthy to eat. So hopefully you can keep watching Jane Unchained or watch Paige and I on Plant Based on the Verb so we can give you that extra information and listen to those people who are, like our doctor that was on, who should be very well respected and has knowledgeable information about what goes on with your heart. Dairy does not go in your body because it affects your heart. Cholesterol clogs the arteries, so gotta let it go. Go ahead, Paige, sorry. No, that's okay, Paige. Uh, your, your buddy in Plant Bates and the Burbs used up your 20 seconds. Oh, so. sorry. Uh, we'll have to continue this conversation. I want to thank everybody. Moderation. For watching. I, it was a great conversation. Got <laughs> controversial there, which we like. And we'll see you next time here on Voice America Radio. <laughs> 
Thank you for tuning in to Jane Unchained. We hope you'll join Jane Velez Mitchell for the next edition of her program next Monday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time and 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Influencers Channel. Meanwhile, have a peaceful week. Thank you.